Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Monday, August 24th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's financial show, we're going to talk a little bit more about stock splits. Uh, refinancing is cheap, but it sounds like it's going to get a little bit more expensive. Short selling in U.S. stocks has hit the lowest level since records began. Uh, and, and as always, we've got a couple of stocks for you to keep your eyes on this week. But first and foremost, I am joined this week, as always, by CFP, and that's Certified Financial Podcaster. Matt Frankel. <laughs> and he's a certified financial planner too, right, Matt? But you know, hey, what's going on? How are you? Oh, pretty good. It looks like I got better weather than you if I look behind me, but um, I, I can almost see the rain coming through your house. Yeah, you know, this just started. <laughs> and um, I mean, it's nice. It's cooling things down, but man, it did kind of come out of nowhere. So let's hope it clears up. Um, you know, thankfully we're inside, so so we we've you know always got always got that. Uh, Matt, I wanted to start this week off uh, this the show show off this week talking a little bit about because uh, stock splits. Now we we there's been some news lately here recently in um in regard to stock splits. A couple of the bigger, uh, more well known companies in Apple and Tesla recently announced stock splits. Um, I believe Apple splitting four for one. Tesla will split five for one, I believe. Uh, and I think Tesla splits this week. Apple maybe next week, or is Apple possibly yeah, think, this week? I think they both. Uh, Apple's record date, I believe, is today. Yeah. Okay. Um, but but you won't see the shares actually trading at the new split level for another week or so. I think the thirty first is the date for both that you right. actually see the the trade taking take effect. And the the thing that's caught our attention here is, is, is as well as really the attention of of most of the investing world. I mean, we talk a lot about stock splits and you know what they ultimately are and what they what they ultimately mean. Um, and and you know, I mean, on their own, they aren't value creators, right? It's just really it's just a math problem. But the fact of the matter is, when you see these announcements from Apple and Tesla, since they since these announcements, I mean, the stocks have just been on phenomenal runs. I think Tesla's up like 50% since this news was announced. And and again, it's not a value creator really. But, you know, I I say that and I guess we could actually argue that maybe it is to a degree because these stocks have certainly performed well. It it, it, it based partly on on this news at least, but but let's dig into this a little bit. I mean, what's your perception here regarding stock splits? I mean, what, what does this ultimately mean? Yeah, I mean, it's tough to say they're not a value creator. I mean, Apple was yeah. already by far the biggest stock in my portfolio, and now it really is the biggest <laughs> stock in my portfolio. Yeah. Um, but I mean, theoretically, there's no value being created here. If you know, if you have a hundred shares of a stock and you get it splits into two hundred shares, each of them worth half as much as the original, you you have the same amount of money in your in your account. But having said that, there are a couple reasons why splits can actually create value and drive the share price up. So, for one, number one, and this is becoming less of a thing now that fractional shares are available through a few brokerages, but it makes the stock a little more accessible. That's especially the case in a, a stock that's trading in the thousands like Tesla. Um, you know, if you, if you if, let's just assume for a second your broker doesn't offer fractional shares, if you have $1,000 in your account, you can't buy a share of Tesla right now. So, 
it opens the stock up to a whole new pool of investors. It allows investors to put more of their money to work in the stock because Tesla is, what I want to say, right around $2,000 right now. Something if like you, that, yeah. Right. So if you have $3,000 and want to invest in Tesla, you can buy one share, but then you have $1,000 in cash still sitting in your brokerage account. A split would allow you to put more of that money to work in smaller increments of Tesla stock. So it opens the stock up to more investment capital, which can, at least in the short term, drive the price a little bit higher. And number two, and probably what we're seeing more in Apple and Tesla right now, is that it boosts the market's confidence in the stock. You know, Tesla telling us that they're splitting their shares five for one tells us that Elon Musk and Tesla's management thinks that this high share price is here to stay, that it's not just a blip. Um, same with, you know, t- Tim Cook saying that Apple's stock is going to stay at elevated levels to the point where it justifies a split. You know, if, if Tesla's management thought shares would were intrinsically worth, you know, $300 right now, they wouldn't be doing this split. By doing this, they're conveying confidence to the market that the share price is here to stay. And I think that's really what you're seeing reflected in the past few weeks, because obviously the shares haven't split yet. So they're not open to, to more investors, like in my first point. But you're you're seeing just kind of the confidence level really just go through the roof right now. Yeah. And I mean, I think you, you hit the nail on the head there with the confidence level, right? I mean, I think that to me, I mean, again, like on its own, I mean, the mechanics of a share split are just that. I mean, it's the same size pizza. It's just cut into more slices. Uh, but like you said, it's hard to argue they don't create some value, even though, I mean, they really probably shouldn't, but it's understandable, at least some of the tailwinds that come from a share split that ultimately do create value, either in the sense that it opens up to additional buyers because of a lower price, or just this perception out there, right, that the company is doing well and, and that, that you know, leadership feels like, you know, that performance is, is that level of performance is here to stay. So, so I, you know, I, I, I see both sides of it. I mean, you, you argue that theoretically, like it doesn't do anything to change the company, but it does change a perception of the psychology. And, and certainly um, psychology is a big part of investing. I mean, we talk about the psychology of the market all of the time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's the whole markets in, in, as Warren Buffs, Warren Buffett has said that, you know, over the short term, the market is a popularity contest. <laughs> so, I mean, and and that's kind of what we're seeing right here. Not not that you know, App, I'm not even saying that Apple's not worth a two trillion dollar valuation. I am kind of saying Tesla's not worth what it's valued right now. <laughs> I hope you just made some people very angry, Matt. <laughs> but I'm, I'll, t- I'll talk a little bit more about Tesla um, when we get to the the, the shorts part of our discussion. Yeah. Um, I don't. I, even the Tesla bulls are really not making the case right now that it's worth $2,000 a share. I, I saw um, one analyst who's notoriously a Tesla bull has upgraded the stock to outperform with a price target that's like $700 less than where it is right now. That's so cool. I, I, I mean, I, <laughs> take that for what you will. But yeah. any, but long story short, in, in, in the short term, especially the market is really just a, it's a popularity contest. It's a voting machine. Um, and, and at any given day, a, a stock could go up or down regardless of the fundamentals of the business. Um, over the long term, you know, intrinsic valuation tends to, you know, take hold, which is kind of our whole thesis here at The Motley Fool on how we invest is that over time, you know, good businesses do better and better and and that, that, that'll be reflected in the stock price. But, you know, I mean, when, 
I, I don't know about you, but I've never read a Motley Fool recommendation that tells me what the stock's going to do this week. No, 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 no. I mean, that's definitely not our MO. And um, I think uh, to your point there on the the popularity contest, I mean, I, I totally agree. I think it's was it Ben Graham who said in the near term it's a it's a a voting machine, but in the long term it's a weighing machine. Yeah, it may have been um, I mean, Buffett I'm, repeating I'm, a Ben Graham quote. Yeah, yeah. Now that you mentioned it. <laughs> but but you know, I mean, I, I think that's that's really that's really well put, and it's something we hear a lot of our favorite leaders uh, talk about as well. And I've heard Jeff Bezos more than more than once mention that in. And, and his focus on really making Amazon heavy. He just wants to make it heavy because he's he's focused on that weighing machine, and, and that certainly is how we invest too. So, uh, yeah, we can we can certainly revisit the, the Tesla discussion here in just a little bit as we talk about the, the this uh, record low short story. Uh, but before we do that, let's jump into this refinancing story because I, f- I find this just utterly fascinating. Part of it is because you and I are both right in the middle of refinancing our, our homes, our respective homes. And, you know, we talked uh, before, we've talked before on the show here about about refinancing and, and folks at least ought to inquire about that because of, of the opportunities it provides and, and the fact that interest rates are where they are today. But it sounds like that the the cost of refinancing is getting ready to go up and it's not it's not just some like little nickel and dime thing i mean from what i was i was looking at here i mean we're talking about Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac essentially adding adjusting the price to the to the to the re, the cost of refinance uh adding a half a percent of the loan amount to to the consumer's bill to refinance their loan and I mean, depending on where you live, and I mean, I'll just you know use Northern Virginia up here as an example. I mean, housing up here is is ridiculously expensive. I mean, some might even call it redonkulously expensive. I would call it redonkulously expensive. Um, and you know, a half a percent on the size of the average loan up here is very, very meaningful. And for the customer to bear that expense, even if you can roll that into the cost of the loan, it's still something that exists. You have to ask why it even exists in the first place, because Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac actually aren't lending. But I want to let you dig into this a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about this this cost that's being added and why Fannie and Freddie are actually um, able to get away doing this. Well, it's a like you said, it's a half percent on refinancing loans specifically. It's not on purchase mortgages. Uh, it goes into effect on refinances that are sold to Fannie and Freddie after September 1st, so like a week from now. Yeah. Um, are are you scheduled to close before September first? Because I'm I'm on the bubble there. <laughs> well, we're not, and so that's where I was fully unclear because I thought it was saying basically any any refinances that are already in process that are already in progress will be fine. But you know, if you initiate after the date that this fee is supposed to be put into place, then then you might be in, in trouble. But um, I, I don't think it would apply to ours because we've already gotten, we got, you know, we got the good faith estimate and everything like, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to actually check with our, our right. I, and, and I hope not. And I don't yeah. really think anybody knows for sure at this point. I don't, I don't know at what point your loan is officially marked for sale to Fannie or Freddie, Freddie too. So that either, probably has yeah. something to do with it. Um, but anyway, so it's worth mentioning this only applies to loans that are going to be sold to Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac. So these are conforming mortgages. It does not apply to FHA refinances, for example. It doesn't apply to VA loans if you refinance through the VA. If you have a jumbo mortgage, which a lot in Jason's neck of the woods are going to be jumbo mortgages that are that are in excess of Fannie and Freddie's loan limits. Um, if you have a jumbo mortgage, this doesn't apply to you because that's not eligible for sale to Fannie or Freddie. Um, so 
This only applies to conforming loans that are eligible for sale to Fannie and Freddie. Um, so if you're in a high cost market, this might not even apply to you. Um, but it, as you mentioned, it's about $1,400 on the average mortgage. The average refinancing loan is about $280,000. So this uh, half percent is $1,400 tacked onto your loan. That's in addition to the origination fee you pay to your lender, any points you're paying on your mortgage, any other closing costs you pay. So this can really kind of tip the scales on whether refinancing is worth it or not. Um, yeah. if, you, if you remember from our discussion of a couple weeks ago, refinancing is really, it's not just about the difference in your interest rate you're paying now and the interest rate of your refinancing. It's, is the savings of your refinancing going to outweigh the costs of refinancing itself? Um, and this kind of adds a little piece to that puzzle. So it's, it, it might not apply to your mortgage depending on how you're refinancing. But if you do have a conforming loan, meaning you're just going through it, you know, you don't have a VA loan, you don't have an FHA loan, you don't have a jumbo loan, then your refinancing could get expensive. Now, it's also worth mentioning that there is a big motion on both sides of, of the political spectrum to get Fannie and Freddie to delay this. Um, it, nothing's yeah, been announced I, I, yet. <laughs> I saw the Mortgage Bankers Association. They, they weren't very happy about this. Well, neither was <laughs> the under, White House. Neither were Democrats in Congress. <laughs> neither. I mean, it, it's, it's, not just, it's not just the Mortgage Bankers Association. This is not popular at all. Well, so you know what it strikes me as, and this is the first thing that came to mind is, you know, so if you buy a home and you don't, uh, you don't put twenty percent down, then typically you're going to have to pay PMI, private mortgage insurance, until you get that loan to value down to eighty percent. And you know, private mortgage insurance is always, um, I, you know, I got to be careful with my language here, but I've just never been a big fan because to me, it's basically just the lender pawning off their risk onto you. And that, to me, is is what this ultimately sounds like. Is this is based on protecting Fannie and Freddie from potential losses on loans that they purchase? So they're basically pawning their risk off on to us or on to to consumers. And I, you know that that to me, it seems like you're getting double popped there. I mean, let's let's understand too. You're also paying interest on this loan. I mean, that that's to account for that risk to a certain degree. So I don't know. It just always struck me as a little bit of a a little bit of a, a double pop, so to speak. Yes. Yeah, so, well, your interest rate definitely affects your risk factor. I mean, if if say you have an 800 credit score and I have a 700 credit score, I re- represent a bigger risk to the lender, so my interest rate is probably going to be higher. Yeah. So so that's already kind of priced into the loan somehow, um, but. And and remember, this doesn't apply to purchases. This is just refinances. Yeah. So they're we're they're seeing a record amount of refinancing applications <laughs> come through. Um, I remember at some points it had like tripled year over year in certain weeks, and and for yeah. good reason. I mean, mortgage interest rates are at record lows, and the problem in times like these is that credit scores are not a great indicator of risk when you know a million people are losing their job each week. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, your, your credit score only goes so far when you don't have a job. Yep. Um, so so a, a, a prime credit borrower could represent a bigger risk to the lender than is reflected in their interest rate is kind of the logic behind this. Now, whether it's right or not, and I mean, like you said, it's a very unpopular fee. I'm, I certainly don't want to pay it. I'm hoping my loan closes before before <laughs> this gets implemented. Um, I don't want to pay this. I don't want anyone listening to have to pay this. Yeah. But it, and you know the White House came out in opposition to this. Senators on both sides of the aisle have come out in opposition to this. They're, Fannie and Freddie are under a lot of pressure to at least delay this, if not cancel it entirely. 
Um, the biggest complaint was that they announced this in mid-August and it goes into effect September 1st. You know, give yeah. less notice there. <laughs> not not a, not a very uh, not a very customer centric heads up there. I would say no. probably the best way, the most diplomatic way to put it. So, yeah, I guess if you're in the middle of refinancing your home, uh, make sure to check that out with your lender to see if that's something that you are going to be. Uh, subjected to, I definitely will be uh, double checking with our lender. I don't think if your loan is already in progress, I don't think you will be subjected to it. But I could be wrong, uh, so we'll definitely want to follow up with that. But it'll be very interesting to see how this uh, how this evolves, given the given given all of the the pushback from from really a lot of different uh, positions yeah, of my, power. My, my gut feeling is that that. They're going to end up delaying this at least, just because the, you know Fannie and Freddie doesn't. They don't want to make the entire government mad right now. Yeah, they're trying to yeah. break away from government control. They need cooperation from both sides of the aisle. They they really don't <laughs> want to make everybody mad right now. So I, my, my gut <laughs> yeah. tells me that this is going to not necessarily go away, but at least be delayed to a more reasonable amount of notice. Well, let's hope. Let's hope. Uh, Okay, so this next story we want to talk about today, and it, you know, it it doesn't really seem like it should be all that surprising, but it is it is noteworthy. You know, we were reading through this earlier. Goldman Sachs put together some research here recently, and it appears that short positions uh, in, in the markets are are at their lowest level in more than a decade. I think really what I saw is all the way back to when these when this data really when they started really tracking this data. Uh, Several several years back, I mean, the short interest is is at record lows. Which, given where we are today in the market, given given the performance of the market, I mean, that, that certainly is believable. It makes a lot of sense. Um, but but yeah, I mean, if you if you are taking the short side, uh, you are really really feeling a lot of pain right now, aren't you, Matt? Yeah, this is a it's 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 amazing how. Poorly short sellers have done lately, especially oh, considering man. how overvalued some stocks have looked. Yeah. Like I mentioned, I mentioned Tesla, and I'll get into some statistics in a second. But I mean, every time Tesla looks like a perfect candidate to short, it goes up by another two hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just it. It's like, and that just kind of feeds off itself too, right? I mean, we talk, we talk about short squeezes, and and before we go into that, Matt. You know, if you don't mind, for our listeners, real quick, explain really quickly what a short squeeze is. So, a short squeeze happens when you short a stock. Your broker will only let it go up by a certain amount before they make you exit the position. Yeah. Um, when it, theoretically, a short sale can have unlimited losses. If I short a, if I short Tesla at two thousand dollars today, and Tesla goes up to ten thousand dollars, which sounds crazy, but I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't really discount that possibility. Yeah. Um, then I've lost eight thousand dollars on the investment on on a short on a two thousand dollars stock. Yeah. So it, the the losses can be unlimited, and your broker wants to make sure that they're not going to be left on the hook for this if you lose more than is in your brokerage account. So there's a limit to how much they'll let those losses go. Yeah. So as that as stocks go up, as short positions go the long the wrong way, you're going to see investors exit them kind of in a hurry. Yeah, and in and if they do this on, on a large scale, this is what they call a short squeeze, where you see a bunch of investors, you know, on a short position, rush to cover their shorts, and when you cover your shorts, what do you have to do? You have to buy shares. So yeah. this creates upward pressure, which leads to even more people trying to cover their their short sales, and just 
I mean, this is what we saw really in the, if you remember the retail REITs when we had that episode a few weeks back um, where we discussed the, the retail's not dead basket. You remember that? Sure, absolutely. When we saw um, companies like Simon Property Group and Seritage and Tanger Outlets go, you know, triple in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, a lot of that was most likely a short squeeze where people said, okay, these aren't going bankrupt. Let me cover my shorts. And then, you know, one thing led to another and a chain reaction and, and a company like Seritage that is really not in great shape tripled in a couple of weeks. So um, it's it's really interesting dynamics, but you're you're we've seen a lot of short squeezes. I have to say that's probably a lot of what we've seen in Tesla, uh, especially since the split was announced is is somewhat of a short squeeze. It's definitely not based on fundamentals. I know I'm going to get a lot of hate mail from Tesla bulls after this. Um, but here, let me give you my Tesla statistic real quick, just because I keep alluding to that. Um, as of July 31st, over 8% of Tesla's outstanding shares were sold short. So this wow. was before the split was announced. Um, so 8%. Since that time, since you know, 8% of Tesla is you know in the tens of billions of dollars. I don't, I don't have the exact market cap in front of me. Since that time, the stock has gone up by 42%. Imagine if you had, you know, so that's tens of billions of dollars of stock sold short. And the value of that stock has gone up by 42% since that that snapshot. Um, I mean, Square is another one. that I'm not just picking on Tesla. Square is one of my favorite stocks, as you know. Sure. And, and, and one of yours. Square had 8% short interest roughly as of the end of July. Square is up 18% since that time. Mm-hmm. So people are losing their money on, on these shorts. And it's it's they're figuring out that it, in a market like this, where you know we've rebounded over 50% from the lows, they're figuring out like in a market like this, it's not necessarily just based on fundamentals. And it's probably best to stay on the sideline if you have a negative opinion on a stock. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I totally agree. I mean, I've, I've, I've said it a, a million times. I mean, I'm just not in the business of shorting because it just, frankly, just it's too much work, man. I don't want, like, I don't want to sit there and monitor something like that. I mean, because you, like you said, your losses essentially uh, are, are limitless. And like, if you buy shares in a company and that company turns out to be a total dud, then your maximum loss is 100%, right? You can lose your money. You could lose it all, and that's we don't want to see that happen. But at least you know there is a there is a maximum loss that exists there. But with shorting, I mean, you really are on the hook for potentially uh, multiples of, of of that, and and that that really is where it becomes difficult because you may you may be right, right? You could present a mathematical argument for shorting a company like Tesla. And I mean, I'm not saying short it. I'm not saying buy it. I'm just using it as an example. You could make a mathematical argument for that and probably a fairly rational one. I think we could all agree, but that still doesn't mean that the market is going to agree with you. You can be right in short and still be totally wrong with what the market gives you. And there's nothing you can do about it. And, you know, I mean, I was, I was looking at this, like to, to go with a couple of those statistics you were mentioning, Amazon shorts uh, uh, this year have paper losses of $4.6 billion. The stock is up 50% this year. Tesla, pay, shorts have paper losses on Tesla of almost $14 billion, which is just amazing to think about. But, you know, sometimes... You know, sometimes people just feel, "Hey, listen, I'm right." Eventually, the market will turn around and understand this. But, but we've seen time and time again, there is, 
you know, there's a psychology at play here where it, you know, the market can be irrational far longer than you can remain solvent. And um, in, in shorting is certainly a way to exploit that. And, and I'll also say with shorting, a lot of times you'll see those short squeezes come out during earnings reports or when a company releases some type of press release that really sort of, you know, catalyzes things and tells you this company's going in a good direction. All of a sudden you get some good news and short start closing out their positions left and right. And like you said, closing out a short position is essentially that's buying. And when you see a lot of buying at once, that that demand pushes the stock price up, and and that really that really can uh, you know that can really hurt. And it's also worth remembering too that companies witnessing short squeezes. I mean, that can feel really good if you're if you're long the stock because everybody likes watching their stocks go up. But it's also worth remembering that you know sometimes if you can't really explain why the stock is going up. Uh, oftentimes it could be something like a short squeeze, which not to say that's a bad thing, but if you can't explain it, you know that might be that might be a way to uh, make some sense of it. Yeah, I'm actually surprised you say that Tesla shorts have only lost 14 billion dollars this year. Yeah, um, someone just pointed out their market cap right now is 389 billion. That's a lot. Uh, and so yeah, <laughs> and if you figure eight percent of that is still sold short, and Elon Musk loves picking on Tesla short sellers too. Oh yeah, didn't, didn't he yeah. actually have didn't he have actual shorts like pants well, shorts he, made up yeah, for? Yeah, he, he, he had the ultimate troll move, yeah. I mean, and that, that's just where it is. Like, I I came to the realization a long time ago. If you feel strongly one way, like to to the bear side, it's really okay just to say, you know what, I, I I'm I'm bearish, but I'm not taking a position. I'm not going to go long. I'm not going to short. I'm just kind of understanding this is what it is. I mean, you look at some some companies, and they have a little bit of a, a cult following or or cult status, where you know it. They they can defy, uh, they can defy reason in, in in some instances, and and you see that. I mean, it's it's tough to explain, but you have to acknowledge it exists. There are a lot of great ideas out there, so you just got to know how to pick your battles. But uh, yeah, I've just never been one for you know, jumping into that ring and, and trying to convince the market that it's wrong because you know the market usually I think has it right for the most part. Yeah, and I I will say that if you're if you're you know completely laser focused that a stock is overvalued and wrong. An alternative to selling short is to just buy a put option. Um, That's if a you're good, an options yeah. guy, um, and the reason I say that is, I'm, I'm not advising you know shorting or buying put options on anything, but if you buy a put option, which is essentially you know, it's it's a short without actually unlimited losses, right. effectively, it, it, yeah, it, it capture downside. Right. So the, the the most you can lose is how much you're paying to buy the put option. Um, so that that's an alternative if you're kind of dead set like you know Tesla's overvalued period the end, which I I'm, I I would I would be tempted to buy a put option on Tesla, but not <laughs> not not with the way it's going right now. Well, uh, that but, would be the only way I would do it. <laughs> well, and this is kind of what Warren Buffett said a while ago about cryptocurrencies. Yeah. He said if I could buy a put option on them, I would, but I wouldn't short them for a second because Bitcoin could go to a bill a million dollars. Yep, <laughs> and that would be devastating. He said, I'd buy a put option to, to bet that it's going to go to zero eventually, but I'm not going to bet against the price altogether. So yeah. um, there are ways to short without unlimited losses, and uh, that's not included in the short interest. So you got to figure that everyone who has a put option on Tesla is not included in that that eight percent short interest, or the or the fourteen billion dollars of of paper losses that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Just, just one, one final little piece of advice before we move on to uh, to ones to watch. You know, if if you're short a company through options, 
you know, clarify that. People will get out there and just get on their perch and, oh, I'm short this, short, short, short. And then they just, it's like the little asterisk, right? It's the fine print. <laughs> oh, I'm actually just short via put option. Two very, very different things, okay? So, yeah, so make sure just, just, to, just to clarify, we're saying the put option is usually the smarter way to go. I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. It's just, it always, it always kills me when... If I see folks get up on their perch and they talk about the, the you know how bad this company is and short 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 and then you come to find they're actually short via puts. That's just a totally different dynamic. You, you can't get up there on your perch and start talking like that without clarifying because that changes the conversation just a little bit. Just a piece right. of advice. You can take it or leave it. You know it, it it's worth what you paid. But but just 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 my two cents. Yeah, that's fair um, enough. <laughs> so Matt, before we wrap up, let's talk about ones to watch for the coming week. What is your one to watch this coming week? I am watching a recent IPO that we've talked about on this show called Rocket Companies. They are the parent company of Rocket Mortgage, Quicken Loans. Oh, yeah. Um, they recently went public. Ticker symbol is RKT. And they've pr- they've gone up about 50% in the past week or so. Nice. Um, that stock has just been on a tear. I wish I, I, I had thought about pulling the trigger right after the IPO, but unfortunately, I talked about it on here. <laughs> so that was that, that was out of the question. Um, I think our show was actually on IPO day, so I couldn't do that at all. I think so. I think you're right, uh, actually. Yeah. But I, I, I'm watching that. I'm waiting for a pullback to try to get into it because I like the company long term. Um, it's an untested company, so if it stays elevated, I'll be happy to let other people have the fun. Um, but if at the right price, if it goes anywhere near the IPO price, I'm definitely interested in Rocket Mortgage. And it's a company to watch as it starts to report earnings because we have no idea what it you know, we haven't seen a public earnings report yet uh, from Rocket. So that's yeah, just the yeah. company I'm watching over the next few years. And and especially with the current price action, it's worth keeping an eye on. And what's the ticker? RKT. All right. Well, I am going to be keeping an eye on Bill.com this week. Ticker is B-I-L-L. And uh, mentioned a few weeks back that earnings were later this month. And so this week, actually, Thursday, earnings come out for Bill.com. Just going to be interested to see how... Uh, the business is doing in in the face of the pandemic. Uh, we talked about at the end of the most recent quarter, they had more than ninety one thousand customers. They had uh, processed twenty four point two billion dollars in total payment volume for the quarter, which I thought was pretty fascinating. Uh, so it's a strong business. It's growing. I think uh, you know it's got a very compelling uh, developing network effect, particularly in that small to medium sized business uh, market that it serves. Uh, but ultimately, looking just to just to help offices to help companies digitize and automate their back office financial operations you know get that cash get the checks out of of, of the equation there and really just uh get get you know back to to the electronic uh transfers and, and, and letting technology really really do the heavy lifting so i'll uh, be looking for that earnings report on thursday uh matt as always appreciate you joining on on such a such a lovely day it appears down there in south carolina the rain has stopped here in virginia just in time for me to think about getting on the road and uh, going to get a puppy. So I think that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to let you go and I'm going to take off too. All right. All right. It's, we got all our rain yesterday, so it's not like we're just getting <laughs> off scot-free here. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus, or you can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for putting the show together. For Matt Frankel, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.